0: Log TALK RADIO
1: Hello? Radio. So glad to have you guys with us here tonight after our bang up signing day edition last week. We got a lot more to talk about this week. I'm your co-host Kerry Clark, joined as always by Drudy Armand of ESPN 977 The Zone in Huntsville and by Thomas Watts down in Mobile. Thomas is with Touchdown Alabama magazine. And uh there's a lot of places we could start, but I guess we'll put a uh not really a final bow, but uh maybe an additional to and from sticker on the signing day package, as I bring in Drew now, because Drew, it appears that there may be at least a member of this football signing class.
2: Yeah, you know, there could be, Kerry, Uh, it's going to depend how all the the pieces shake out, Uh, I think, uh, overall, the coaches uh, on signing day thought they were probably one defensive lineman short, and one wide receiver short, and uh, they've kind of been working to shore that up, uh, both looking in the junior college ranks and the and uh, the fifth-year transfer options. Uh, and, of course, we know Nick Saban's always on the cutting edge of everything when it comes to recruiting, and names are already starting to emerge. You know, from what I hear from the people I speak with, uh, Gary Dieter from Bowling Green, who uh, was um, uh, had a, a great year, was an all-MAC wide receiver, 94 catches, a thousand thirty-three yards, ten TDs. Uh, there's a very, very strong possibility he is going to transfer to Alabama if it's fifth year. And then today, uh, from uh, from Pierce College in Woodland Hills, California, uh, we we understand that Billy Napier has reached out to Justin Wyatt, a slot receiver, uh, who is going to visit Troy this weekend. But Alabama showing some interest in him. They like his film, so. We'll see where that goes. And, of course, they're still involved with the saga with Demetrius Robertson, which, quite frankly, irritates the hell out of me. Uh, it's To me, I know what uh, Demetrius is trying to do. He's trying to get into Stanford. I completely respect that. Waiting on his test results. Most believe that he will not uh, have the desired results to get into Stanford. Uh, he could have signed with Notre Dame on signing day, which is what I thought he was going to do. The former Alabama commitment. He's canceled on Alabama four times now as far as visits. Um, Now, I I think he's slated to to finally show up at UGA this next weekend, but I've really lost track of it. I I really don't think he's going to wind up at Alabama. I don't think he wants to go to Alabama, or he could have gone a long time ago. But again, he's an elite talent, a five-star receiver. But I know Alabama will, I'm sure, continue to recruit him and uh, communicate with him, but Hey, if if I had to, my gut tells me that uh, he's not going to end up at Alabama.
1: Well, Drew, I got to say that the film on
2: Garrick Dieter is
1: very impressive.
2: Oh, without a doubt, he's a big, strong guy, three to two hundred and ten pounds. Uh, he spent a short time his freshman year at SMU before, um, you know, transferring to Bowling Green and has been very prolific in their offense. Uh, has a great career. Uh and again, I've heard people tell me he would be Richard Mullaney on steroids. Uh perhaps I mean perhaps he would be an even more talented Mullaney, but the one thing you have to understand and, and that's the thing that made Richard special why he he as I told him uh when he came to Huntsville for an autograph signing, he's going to be he's going to live in tied lore for the rest of his career. And uh, the biggest thing is, is he going to fit in from a chemistry standpoint? Richard fit in seamlessly. Uh, he he had been the featured guy, really, at Oregon State, or one of the top two. Uh, he'd been up for the Bolidnikoff Award. He didn't get a chance to put up those kind of numbers at Alabama, but he did catch six TDs. He did catch 37 passes. And he became a key cog in a national championship team, but all he cared about was winning. He would do the dirty work, uh, keep the chains moving, red zone target, and he was a very, very good blocker, which is why he took Chris Black's job, and Chris Black will now finish his career in Missouri. It's going to be interesting of Gary Dieter because he's going to come in to a wide receiver core that's even more talented than one Mulaney was a part of. You're going to have Darius Stewart returning, Calvin Ridley, uh, the best freshman wide receiver in college football, and then Robert Foster will be coming back from the torn rotator cup. We all saw the start he got off to last year and O.J. Howard. Coming off in a, a performance for the ages in the national championship game. So he won't be uh, the first, the top target uh, for Alabama, but he would be a part of, in my opinion, I don't want to be hyperbolic uh, because, again, the quarterback battle is going to have to play itself out, Kerry. But I don't think, that as far as a wide receiver core, an Alabama quarterback would have had as deep uh, a wide receiver group as they could be put on the field, accounting O.J. Howard with the playmakers in 2016 for Alabama. And then you look at Bo Scarborough. I know Kurt McNair uh, had a, there was an article on scout.com talking about how Alabama had been devastated by the losses at tailback. Trust me. As William Barger uh, answered on Facebook, wait till they see Bo Cephas. And that's Bo Scarborough and Damian Harris, two five-star backs. They were also brought in B.J. Emonz and a guy that I'm very uh, proud to have joined the class, and Joshua Jacobs. So I think they'll be fine at tailback, and the weaponry is going to be unbelievable for the Tide.
1: You know, Drew, it's interesting that that Dieter is one of the prospects because, to me, arguably the toughest game on the schedule this fall, you could you could argue for Oxford, but I think the toughest game on the schedule this fall is in Knoxville. And Gary Dieter has a good track record at Neyland Stadium.
2: Yeah, just ask Butch Jones and crew, uh, no doubt about it, seven catches, well over 100 yards. He shredded their defense, and uh, Garrick Dieter, uh, I'm sure Butch Jones was hoping that he had seen the last of him, and he may not have. I was joking with someone the other day, I want to he'll wink at the Tennessee players when he comes out for warm-ups uh, in uh, Neyland Stadium, because as you said, Kerry, arguably the trip to Oxford is going to be a very tough challenge, but... It equally as tough will be Tennessee. I know they're all they're both those schools ironically are having some off the field issues, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the show uh but Tennessee is going to be I talked to Jimmy Hines this afternoon. we both agree that uh Tennessee is the favorite in the east going into next year uh they' they're on a six game winning streak. Uh, what now? It was a back. Uh, it was a front-loaded schedule. The back wasn't as difficult, but they won all those games. Uh, and they were in every game they lost. They had a lead against everyone they played in the fourth quarter. Uh, everyone knows what I think of Jalen Hurd. I think he could be one of the best backs in the country next year. Uh, Alvin Kamara is a very talented guy. Alabama fans should be very familiar with. Dobbs is going into his senior season, starting and now very experienced uh, offensive line experience now for Tennessee. Uh, They do kind of lack some playmakers, proven ones at wide receiver. Preston Williams will be a sophomore. We'll see how he develops. Marquez North did go and turn pro. Uh, But we'll see what, you know, Tennessee brought in a junior college receiver. I believe it's going to go through spring practice. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Tennessee does. And I think they upgraded a defensive coordinator with Bob Shoup.
1: Yeah, and they've got two of the better running backs in the conference. They're very experienced.
2: They really are. I mean, I think it's as good as any duo in the SEC and maybe nationally. Alvin Kamara is a do-it-all guy, can run, block, catch, and, and uh, do it just in return kicks. Uh, he came back to school, which I think was the wise thing to do. And then Hurd is a load. Uh, he had a very effective game against Alabama last year. He's had two good games against Alabama. And I, the Vols are going to be hungry to end that nine-game skid. Uh, so it's going to be a big challenge. They've got Derek Barnett and now officially in the house today uh, after his dad finally signed the NLI uh, because he had some reservations about him going to Tennessee. But Jonathan Conn will not uh, be an Ole Miss Rebel. Uh, he will be a Tennessee Vol, and uh, it's huge. I know Butch Jones has a lot of expectations for Jonathan Kongbo, someone that Alabama could have had but decided to pass on. We'll see if they regret it later.
1: Well, that's actually a great segue to my next question, Drew, because uh, – One of the more respected posters on the Kyder Insider website, uh, SP, uh, if he ever called this show, we would call him Scott from Baseball, but we won't give his last name. He uh, he dropped a strong hint today uh, that there could be another defensive lineman added to this class. Are you hearing anything about that?
2: Well, I know they'd be interested in another edge rusher. No question about it. I have not heard any names as of yet. Um, but we will see but i was told that the uh, you know after signing day that uh the 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 three areas that alabama could look for graduate transfers or late you know signees and, and continue to explore their options uh was wide receiver running back and defensive line and so i am sure that they're uh, they're that they're uh, definitely uh, mining the and of course the name that has come up uh, there was a there was a young uh, man in Grayson Georgia who came up, his name, uh, you can maybe help me with that, carry. I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but I know uh, that his, there, with Mickey Kahn is his coach at Grayson, of course, that played at the University of Alabama. Uh, but from what I hear about that guy, his film is, is impressive, uh, but he has great issues. Yeah, I don't
1: have the name in front of me either. Um, I want to share a story, and I'll share this exclusively with BAM's listeners. I'm not posting this anywhere but I was not told to not post it. So I'll share it because I know you've heard it too, Drew. And it would not affect this fall's Alabama team. And it's probably not going to affect us at all. But let me just say that the Simmons family is not happy with their signature with Mississippi State. And they are quite adamant about the fact that they wanted to go to Alabama all along and got kind of tricked there at the end, uh, including some involvement by the high school coach, uh, at at, uh, Jeffrey Simmons' school, but there is a scenario, and I realize this is unlikely because nobody wants to sell a football season that's been playing their whole life, but there is a scenario that we'll have to see how it plays out, where if he doesn't show in Starkville this fall or this summer that he could actually surface in Tuscaloosa in January. Unlikely? Yes, but I have to say it's out there.
2: Yeah, you know, we'll see. I mean, I've I've heard the same story uh, about Jeffrey Simmons, and all I'll say about Jeffrey Simmons is uh, as of 8 a.m. on uh, signing day, he was coming to Alabama, but some other external factors uh, got in the way of that. Uh, Now he has signed with Mississippi State, Uh, but uh, you're going to have to show me as far as him showing up in Tuscaloosa now. Uh, I know that uh, his mother has not been pleased, but I know Bo Davis put in a lot of time, but Bo Davis also knows that he's still got a lot of talent on his football team. And I think he realizes as well that that uh, that, that, that scenario is unlikely to, to come to fruition. Uh, he's in Starkville, or he will be in Starkville. Uh, he'll likely start as a true freshman. At Alabama, he would have been in the rotation. And I think by the time he was a sophomore, had a very good chance to start. Uh, but the big thing is uh, he kind of uh, decided that they, that's what he wanted to do. He could have still gone to the University of Alabama. Uh, but to me, he, and as good as Simmons is, and I think he could have been a special player, Alabama just needs to move on. And if they find an extra option, you know, in the, in the coming days, that's fine. But I still think uh, they did pretty well on the defensive line. And we'll and we'll be talking about one of those guys uh, in Jerron, in, Jer- in uh, Mr. King, uh, Jerron King uh, with uh, A.P. Stedham in just a few minutes. Yeah,
1: uh, Jamar King and Jamar King. Me. I, I tell you what, Drew, I I did a presentation uh in Atlanta yesterday to a a good group of Bama alumni and I was going over a depth chart and I had to be frank with them. For spring practice, I was only able to uncover three true defensive ends. Uh so yes, Jamar King is going to be in the rotation and Jeffrey Simmons would have been. Uh the the spring practice, you know, when they do the 8 day. Uh, one of the teams is probably going to have a nose guard like maybe a Josh Frazier or someone like an O.J. Smith having to play in just out of necessity for that scrimmage because there's only three true defensive ends on the depth chart as we're speaking right now. And uh, and that's with Jonathan Allen coming back, Drew. And, of course, I was also uh, including on my list Dalvin Tomlinson and Deshaun Hand. But after that, you come upon a bunch of nose guards. I think Alabama's got the deepest nose guard rotation in the SEC history. They probably have four that can play.
2: Well, but I think Fra- one
1: of those is going to have to play some in.
2: Frazier can play in. He's the guy that was recruited to play a bunch of different spots. He, his issue is he just has to get his weight down and under control. He's had trouble, you know, getting down around the the, the low three hundreds. But if he does that, he has the ability uh, to play the the zero, the three, and the five technique.
1: I did put him over there because I felt he was the most athletic of the guys that would be considered, at least in the spring. But, you know, once Jamar Keene gets there, I think that would be his slot. And, actually, it won't shock me, Drew, if Quentin Williams pushes earlier for playing time, uh, much like what we saw from the young man from Shades Valley, Deron Payne, this past year.
2: Yeah, Drew, Quentin Williams is a guy that's uh, really uh, valued by the staff at Alabama. Uh, uh, Bo Davis really likes him a lot, and uh, and I can, I can tell you that, they have high expectations for him. He valued him as much as anybody on the board, maybe almost as much as Jeffrey Simmons. Uh, though I will tell the listeners that uh of the guys that uh, went elsewhere on signing day, Simmons stung Nick Saban the most because I think they really thought they had an excellent chance at signing him. Yeah, I,
1: you're totally right. No, no one's going to dispute that. Uh, and, and that's probably about all that needs to be said. I, you're right, he's probably going to show up and start winning. June, but whatever. Let's uh Drew, let's uh change the topic here now. You and I got a chance to be a part of what we may look back on as something special last night. Uh Texas A and M came into Tuscaloosa a, a, a five point favorite or five and a half maybe, and Alabama, although they almost blew it, hung on to win sixty three to sixty two and uh certainly the biggest conference win for Uh, Coach Avery Johnson thus far. And really, when you look back at everything that's transpired, maybe the biggest win. uh, You and I were sitting there watching that game end, and we both knew that the Aggies were getting too many points with the clock stopped at the foul line. But shockingly, a guy who had made 28 in a row missed two in a row at the end of the ball game, due largely in part to that crowd at Colvin Coliseum. Final score... Battle of 63, A&M 62,
2: your impressions, Drew? Well, you know, I just thought it was a great win uh, for Alabama. Uh, they didn't play well the last three minutes on offense. It it brought up the old uh, John McKayism about offensive execution, and he'd be in favor of it. Uh, Alabama wasn't able to get <laughs> to the rim. Uh, they they were trying to isolate uh Redno Obasahan and get him to the basket, get him to the free-throw line, and you would have thought that uh, they had a really good shot at doing so, but A&M was long and athletic and well coached and uh, very experienced at four senior starters and had lost two in a row. Now three in a row now after the uh, loss to Alabama, uh, but they do Alabama just couldn't get to the line, could not uh, convert offensively and A&M continued to chip away. Uh, and, and as you said, uh, they, uh, they, down the stretch, they made some huge shots, uh, no doubt about that. And, uh, and and uh, you know it looked like I to be honest, Kerry, I've seen everybody almost play either in person or on television now in the Southeastern Conference, and I gotta say, I was commenting last night that I think Jalen Jones is as good as any player that I've seen in the league. I think he's a future NBA player. I would think he'd be a first round pick, though. Sometimes senior players are. Uh, kind of look down on, uh, maybe, so they look through their down their nose at them because they they don't think they have as much potential. But he's an inside outside player. He had a game high twenty one points last night, and I really thought uh, that uh, he down the stretch he he might end up being the difference because he was someone that got off early and then late was a hard guard for Alabama. But really, the one that down the stretch made some uh, the biggest plays was Anthony Collins made a huge three. Uh, to cut it to 63-62, and then to A&M's credit, they got to stop. He penetrated, drew a foul, and he's a 93% free-throw shooter, and you're thinking uh, that Alabama's in a load of trouble. They're going to have two seconds left to get the ball 2.3 to get down the court and try to get a shot up or draw a foul uh, because he's likely to make both of these. He misses the first. It was unfathomable unfathomable to me that he would miss both of them, but unbelievably, with the basketball gods shining down upon Alabama, he missed them both. The the in uh, the scrum for the rebound, it went out of bounds. They reviewed it. It was Alabama basketball, and then beautifully executed deep ball uh, to Retino Bostahan, who got fouled on the last play of the game, going in for a layup. But the referees waved it off, and Alabama escaped with a sixty three sixty two win. And as Avery Johnson said post game, if you'd have told him in June they'd have beat A and M, he'd have run to Birmingham barefoot. So they were just very excited uh, to win that game, and now it, it keeps them alive and in the in situ- the discussion for the NCAA tournament because today Andy Katz on time bomb did say that Alabama is a sleeper team that you have to watch if they can, you know, win out at home and steal one on the
0: road.
1: Yeah. And I think they will win out at home. I'm concerned about trying to steal one on the road simply because Georgia and LSU, and of course, Kentucky and Florida all play very well at home. Uh, Alabama is now sitting at 14 and nine, five and six in the league and an RPI, as of this morning, of number 50. Now, number 50 does not get you automatically into a 68-team field, but it gets you in the discussion. And they've got a chance, as you just stated, to make a statement down the stretch. But you're absolutely right, Drew. Uh, Kentucky is probably not realistic. Florida, uh, I got my doubts. You never know. I think LSU's so much good at home. I think Georgia is the one they're probably going to have to steal to secure a bid.
2: Well, you know, that's uh, that that more than likely. That's I think what's going to have to happen. You know, th- that they have a chance Saturday, Kerry. They in do. The Dome uh, t- Old Miss played them very tough the other night and played them down to the very end. This is not Billy Donovan's Gators, and I don't mean that as a slight to Michael White. Uh, this is not as talented a roster as they have had. Uh, they have been very good at home. I think they're 6-0 and in the SEC, and that's why they have a chance at, an, at a tournament bid, and right now they would be in. I would think that uh, Alabama has a chance in this game if Obasahan can play as well on the road as he has played in the past, and they get the efforts they've been beginning to get from Dante Hall. Even Jimmy Taylor, to a degree, is kind of a two-headed monster at center. Um, and then Riley Norris. I think Riley Norris – the last three games has been shooting the ball very well. Uh, he's been uh, counted on to get double digits in scoring. And I feel vindicated because there was a lot of people that took some shots at Riley North last year. And some even talked about like he wasn't an SEC caliber basketball player. And I've always felt like, if you surrounded Riley Norris with talent, he would succeed in the SEC. And right now he doesn't even have great talent around him. When the recruiting class comes in next year, and he's already become a favorite of Avery Johnson, we see how much he hustles. We saw the defense that he played against um, uh, Daniel House last night, and that was something that Avery Johnson brought up. House was held to 12 points. Then I, I just really think – I don't know about being an all-SEC player – but he's going to be, uh, a, I guess, a poor man's gym farmer. And I think he's a very good basketball player with a very high basketball IQ, and he's only going to get better.
1: That's a good analogy there. Uh, I'm looking at the box score right now, Drew. And Raleigh Norris played 33 minutes. He was 4 for 8 from the floor. He was 3 for 6 behind the arc, didn't attempt a free throw. He got five rebounds, one on the offensive end. He only committed one foul. He had 11 points. Uh, and two steals, and, you know, he made a one-handed interception uh, on one of their passes that Julio would have been proud of. It was a great catch.
2: Yes, he did. It was a vine on uh, Twitter, no question about that. Great play, Um, uh, just a great hustle. Uh, He's done that all year, getting his hands on a lot of basketball. Really, I think he's been Alabama's best rebounder. Uh, Dazon Ingram was before going down with injury, uh, but Riley's had to step up in that regard. In some ways, he's still playing out of position, but what I'm really enjoying is he. I think he's getting more uh, comp uh, confident as a shooter, and that's only going to help Alabama as this uh, as they continue to go forward. Because these games are going to continue down the stretch; are going to all be big. And Alabama, every W, uh, to me, what this this team is, uh, what they're doing, they're cementing uh postseason play and hope you know they're gonna be in the conversation for one of the last bids in the NCAA tournament if they continue to win, but at the very least you're setting yourself up for perhaps a number one seed in the NIT which would be three home games to try to get to New York.
1: And those of us that are paid by the game like me won't have a problem with that. That uh, being said, that being said, I would trade a play in game in Dayton for three NIT home games I would eat that money just so just to be able to say for the record that in his first year at Alabama, with uh, no offense, but what amounts to most, mostly a mid-major roster, that Avery Johnson took his team as attorney. Uh Drew, they're getting coached like never before, and the the plays he calls on out of bounds plays, they don't always execute them, but they always have a shot. And he knows when to call a timeout. Uh, he's cool, calm, and collected. He doesn't criticize kids. Uh I, I'm just blown away, Drew, when I sit back and think about the fact that Alabama has Avery Johnson.
2: Yeah, there's no question about it. I think he's already one of the top, you know, few coaches in the SEC. There's a lot of good ones uh, in the Southeastern Conference. There's no question about that. But I think uh, he, could, he I told somebody this, and I was not trying to be hyperbolic, or and I, and I understand, you know, what he's accomplished. But in another year or so, I would – I think he's going to be able, with his roster, um, to go toe-to-toe on a game-in, game-out basis basis with uh, John Calipari, because guess what? He had more success in the NBA uh, than uh, Calipari had, and I just really believe uh, that he's going to be able to... And and Anthony Grant did beat uh, Kentucky a couple of times while he was during his tenure in Tuscaloosa, and I think... Uh, Avery Johnson is going to have the, the chance to do the same thing because Kentucky—they're always going to be supremely talented because they're going to bring in, you know, one the top one or two recruiting class in the country. But they're also going to be young and inexperienced. And I think that Avery Johnson's rosters, uh, so of course, they're going to Avery's rosters will have to gel as well. But I think he'll be able to uh, go toe to toe. Now this year we've obviously seen Kentucky and Coleman Coliseum. I told Tyler Thompson on my radio program today from Kentucky Sports Radio, they're the best team I've seen. They took Alabama apart. But in another year, and especially a couple years, I think Alabama will be able to stand toe-to-toe with Kentucky. Uh, and, and to me, Frank Martin is probably the coach of the year in the SEC because he's got South Carolina tied first in this league, and they could be by themselves by this weekend. They host Kentucky uh, at Colonial Life Arena in South Carolina, in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, but I really think – uh, with a, if Avery Johnson gets Alabama to the NCAA tournament, or even as a one seed in the NIT uh, with the roster in the current state it's in and without Dazon Ingram after the first seven games, he should garner some coach of the year votes.
1: There's no doubt about it. I mean, and, and you know, expound a little bit and, and, and pardon my colorful language here on BAMS. So we, we try to, you know, this is a pirate radio as, as Berg used to call it, but I'm, long, I'm only going to use this colorful language because I'm quoting someone. Uh, and you were there when this statement was made, Drew, in the press room after the Kentucky loss in Tuscaloosa. Someone asked Kyle Parry about, you know, the job Avery was doing, and he said, you know, guys, uh, I was having a conversation just the other day with Bill Harris, the retired Houston Rocket head coach, and uh, he knows a little bit about winning. And he said, he said, Cal, why is everybody acting so surprised that Avery's doing a good job with this team? Shit, he used to win 60 games a year in the NBA, the top of basketball. The guy can coach. Why are they even acting like they're surprised. So, look, you know, <laughs> I'm still blown away that we have him. And I look at the job that he's doing with, with these kids. And could he be better than 14 and 9 and 5 and 6 if they've made some free throws? Yeah, he could be. If they made free throws in a couple of road games, they'd already be a lock for the tournament. But that being said, they're still in the conversation. And I'm just blown away. And let me expand that a little bit more. Uh, I got a chance... The other night, and I'm going to try to get this in three minutes before we have our first call tonight on the Asian Rim Hotline, which would be AP Stedham from BamaMag.com in about three minutes. Uh, but let me just let me. We'll talk more about this in hour two, Drew. But I got a chance the other night to hear Bob Simon speak, which was great. But he was introduced by Wendell Hudson, and Wendell got up in front of a 200 boosters and said, "Guys, we need a new arena." And he didn't say that because Wendell Hudson woke up that morning and was inspired to say that at the microphone. He was inspired to say it by Avery Johnson. And I'm told that Avery Johnson has already discussed it with Bill Battle. And I'm even told they have began to consider locations. It's still in the talking phase now. Uh, the locations under consideration are Bryce Long, the current Tuttle site, and then the most likely site, which is the property between the law school and the current Coleman With the possibility that the current Coleman would stay where it is and become a museum for every sport not named football, Uh, but Drew, what they want is something between ten and twelve thousand capacity. Uh, They're tired of selling fifteen thousand and eleven showing up or less than eleven against Missouri. Uh, So, Drew, I think this is going to happen sooner than later, and I think there will be a new and exciting basketball arena on our campus.
2: Well. I think there will be eventually as well because of the advent of the SEC network and all of the money coming in. And the one thing that I heard today that already cements this is game set match. It's over. Is first of all we know what's about to open on uh, you know in, in another uh, in a week from uh, uh, tomorrow. Uh, that is the, the forty-two million dollar new Joe Sewell Thomas Stadium, uh, which looks spectacular. Uh, I will not be there for Friday and Saturday due to regional obligations for high school basketball, but I hope to try to make it down to Tuscaloosa for the Sunday game. Uh, I was speaking with Chris Stewart about that last night, the voice of Crimson Tide baseball since the late 90s, and uh, he's very excited about it. And and the biggest thing is I have heard Avery Johnson has already discussed this with Nick Saban, and he agrees. If Nick Saban agrees, I'm sorry. We all know Bill Battles, the athletic director, but we know what's driving the bus in Alabama athletics. And if he believes that this needs to happen, it will happen. And I said this the other day. Within five years, there will be a new arena. I'm only speculating on this, but I think the blueprint has been shown with baseball. I think that's what you'll see happen in basketball. I think, you know, they will gut and redo the inside and outside of Coleman Coliseum in the current location, and I would, I think, I, I would think you would probably see Alabama for maybe a year uh, play in Birmingham uh, and uh, play their home games there. And now it's, it's kind of inconvenient for the fans in some ways, but it wouldn't be nearly as big an inconvenience as baseball was. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure if they're going to do that or not, or just play in Coleman and build next to it. I'm not sure how they're going to do that
2: yet. That's, but I do
1: feel like the new arena is going to happen. And getting well, back to what
2: you I'm sorry. Okay, I, I'm, I was just going to say because I don't. They put a lot of money into Foster, and it's also a landmark building. So I don't think they will touch that, and they will continue to use it. So that's why I believe that they would probably gut Coleman, and and they're not going to do what they did and just you know redo some of the interior. They're gonna. It would be a complete. Because a lot of people were worried that Sewell, the new Sewell, the new Joe the new Sewell Thomas would uh, be just would would be as they, as they put as they referred to in Coleman lipstick on a pig, and that is the furthest thing that happened. And I think that's uh, it, since that was successful, it wouldn't surprise me if they did that in basketball.
1: And we'll talk more about it uh, second hour when we hope to hear from Paige Hawkman who. All of myself was there for the alumni uh, game this past Saturday, and I got to do a, a little, a, kind of a self-guided tour of what they were letting us do of uh, the uh, entire new stadium, and I was blown away. We'll talk more about that second hour. But right now, we're joined on the Asian Rim hotline. Uh, and do yourself a favor. It's not too late to get those Valentine's reservations. Go to AsianRim.com and sign up or give them a call. Uh, had a meal there myself earlier today. We'll talk more about uh, the the new venture I tried on the menu that I had not tried before next hour. But for now, joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline is my colleague at BAMAMAC.com, international playboy, A.P. Stedham, and we have got so much to talk about with him, Uh, but let me first just say welcome to BAM's Radio, A.P.
0: Hey, Carrie Drew. How are you all today? Great, buddy. Hey, doing
2: well. Uh, doing well. Uh, AP, it was an honor to have you on my show Monday, and I'm assuming you're still maybe in California. I know you were at in Carson, uh or you are, excuse me, uh, you were in Costa Mesa, the uh, home of the Raiders, and you were headed to see uh someone that Alabama fans are very excited about, Mr. uh, J- uh Jamar King, who will be a part of the Tide family come uh, May.
0: Yeah, he's one of the most interesting prospects I think they've had in a while. You know, this he only played three years of football. Played one year in high yeah. school, and uh, played three years of basketball. He's actually playing for the Mendocino College basketball team right now.
2: Wow, that's amazing! I didn't even know. see. That's something that's great to to, to break here on Bam's Radio. No, I haven't heard anyone refer to that uh, that he's playing for their men's team. It shows how athletic he is. And I want the first question I'm going to ask you, AP, is. Uh, Bo Davis, uh, when he was speaking to the Red Elephant Club, said that at the, at that time on signing day that uh, Mr. King was around
0: 290 pounds. What is his current weight? Th- that's what he told me exactly, 290 pounds. He said he's about six four and a half, two hundred and ninety 290 pounds. But uh, he- he's very intriguing because if you play basketball, you're used to running because that's the – Yes. So, I mean, that's why I'm so excited to watch him in action. And he- he's – Probably pretty raw, but his coaches have been trying to develop his techniques. But he's got a lot of enthusiasm, and he's got a lot lot of Alabama roots as well. And
1: AP, he's 26 years old. Uh, He's 26 years old, and and people thought, well, he must have been in the military. But my understanding is, when he got out of high school, he went to work at a factory of some sort.
0: Right. Yeah. Doesn't he mention to me? He was he was at a plant, and he had one of his mentors had. uh, I think played at Mendocino College, kind of directed them that that direct, you know, to come out west, and he took his advice. And my goodness, I mean, Alabama and Ohio State are coming after the past two national championships. It, it worked out pretty well.
2: Yeah, it really did. AP, no doubt about it. And I'm very excited about him as well because Nick Saban's track record with junior college players has uh, been very, very good. Uh, Since he's come to the University of Alabama, and it was of course at LSU, and he always as he always states, he always brings in. If you sign a guy, you're expecting him to contribute. Uh, And the exciting part is with uh, with Mr. King is he was 240 250 pounds last year. He's already added 40 pounds of muscle, and he's someone now that I think, uh, as Kerry was saying uh he there there isn't there's not a a lot of defensive ends on the roster uh but I think he could play in or inside uh on a four man front he could be a versatile guy for Jeremy Pruitt coming up uh yeah you, know, you wish he could go through the spring but I still think uh they're excited and think he, he's, he's he's someone that can impact his first season
0: yes yeah, his coaches told me they thought he's versatile enough to play inside or outside and he, he's got, uh, you know, quite a bit of uh, skill, you know, in and movement. And, you know, big guys that can move, that's what separates that league. And so I think Alabama's got somebody that's really going to be, be impressive down the road. He's got three years to play to, and he's hungry. He's very appreciative of the, the offer that was been made and extended by Alabama. So, you know, there's no childish behavior in Jamar King.
1: When you were talking to him and interviewing him and all, did he seem kind of media-friendly and give you good answers and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, he, he was. He was very engaging, had a fantastic personality, and his coaches said everybody loves him. Everybody on campus loves him, a matter of fact. So I think he's going to fit like a glove at Alabama And considering he has uh, kinfolk in the state.
2: Yeah, AP, tell everybody about that. Uh, I think that was because he was offered by Ohio State, which is really he's from Detroit. So Ohio State is a school that he was probably more familiar with growing up. But uh, I think uh, one of the wild cards in getting him to Tuscaloosa was that he he does have family ties to the
0: Yellowhammer State. Yeah, and his coaches were telling me that he's uh, somehow, some way related to Deontay Wilder.
1: That's
2: awesome. Oh, yeah. I did not know that. that. That's another yeah. awesome thing
0: right there.
1: <laughs> we are breaking stuff left <laughs> and right tonight. Good job, AP.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, when he told me that, I, I I was kind of floored. But he he knows him, and so uh, and it and it's funny because I know Deontay. I think when he was a young boy, he he envisioned or had dreams of playing for Alabama. So maybe now he could live it through his cousin. You
1: know, and we had a drop where Deontay was popping up Bam's radio. And Byrd lost it, but that's another story. But uh, listen, I want to ask you, AP, because you got a chance to do something that uh, is every journalist's dream. You got a chance to cover the Super Bowl this past week. Uh, and you got a chance to watch Evan Mathis get his first Super Bowl ring. And you got a chance to see Cam Newton walk out of a press conference, not go after a fumble. Uh, tell us a little bit about the overall experience and then your actual game
0: observations. Yeah, I'll tell you, i uh, right off. I didn't get a credential to the game, but I did have three days. Uh, the first media day was Monday. It was Monday evening, and I was televised, and and that was uh, nice to visit with Evan Mathis. He was so excited, you know, coming from two Pro Bowls with Philadelphia, and then he was released over a contract dispute. So Evan certainly picked the right team. He His agent and there is Drew Rosenhaus, and so – Evan got a chance to get a Super Bowl ring, and, you know, he's a very talented guy. had an interesting career, only had 22 starts between 2006-2010, and then he elevated to the the Pro Bowl status. So I was excited for Evan. And then Roman Harper, he's a great spokesperson for the University of Alabama, as is Evan, and he's a veteran. He got to uh, participate in the second Super Bowl. He didn't win, but he was there, and he's had a career 10, 11 years, which is uh, very nice. You know, that's quite a longevity in that league to be over 10 years, especially as a defensive bat. And then Kevin Norwood, uh, is kind of ironic, he was at his second Super Bowl, second consecutive Super Bowl, but he wasn't activated. But still he's part of a winning team. So those three guys, they couldn't say enough about their experience at the University of Alabama and how much they love being part of that program. Uh, and as far as, like, the national, uh, the NFL honors was Saturday night, televised live on CBS. That was, they had a red carpet about two and a half hours before the event. So I got a chance to visit with um, a number of Oakland Raiders, former Oakland Raiders, and ask them about Kenny Stabler being inducted into the Hall of Fame or have have a good chance. And, you know, Jim Plunkett and Jim Brown. And uh, also got a chance to visit with Barry Sanders, Sr., he, he told me a little bit about his son, so that was interesting as well. Saw Joe Namath and interviewed Miss USA. I think that was the third one I've interviewed. You know, by accident, it's always kind of stumbling into things, Carrie and Drew. That's what happens when you're when you show up. You got to show up in life, right? Have, that's part of it. Show up, and you don't know what's going to happen. But but the Super Bowl <laughs> that that media day is it's wild, and you have to be focused because there's thousands of journalists there. And you have to know what you're going to do because you can get lost in all the hoopla and the bright lights and all the activity and all the craziness. But uh, I found it to be, you know, very good. I had, I had a good visit with uh, Wade Phillips as well, and he told me that Coach Bryant was his hero. As soon as I told him who I was, he, the first words out of his mouth were, roll tide. And he said, my, <laughs> my hero is Coach Bryant. And and he I said, you got a, a nice story you can tell us about Coach Bryant? He goes, yeah. When I was a little boy, I went to the Gator Bowl, and I I wore this hat, so every time I would see him, he'd say, I remember you going to the Gator Bowl wearing that little hat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and, of course, I believe uh,
2: his dad and, um, of course, Bum Phillips and Coach Brian knew each other pretty well. And Wade, uh, the one thing I hadn't realized, he's been in the NFL so long, uh, pretty much his entire professional career. Uh, And uh, this past Sunday, he's 69 years old now was his first Super Bowl ring.
0: Oh, yeah, I was so thrilled. You know, I was thrilled for anybody, uh, you know, Evan, of course, but I was really thrilled for Wade Phillips because he was a big factor in the game as a defensive coordinator. You're trying to stop the league MVP. And, and we had a little discussion. I asked him, I said, did you happen to contact any of the SEC coaches that competed against Cam? He said, no, we just strictly uh, viewed the NFL tapes. But I was so um, you know, uh, you know, thrilled to have him win that Super Bowl ring because he he'd been in that profession so long. He had ups, downs, but man, that's a big high for him. And I know he was proud of the, you know his accomplishments and wish his dad could have been there. But I'm sure, he's watching.
2: Oh, I'm sure he is, AP. And I, before Kerry asked the next question, I was going to tell you, uh, any time your defense, and it's been brought up many times since the game ended. But whenever you hearken the 85 Bears, who I still think is probably uh, the greatest NFL defense of all time, and and I know this is off-topic with a Bama-related show, but anybody that wants to see the thir- they need to see the 30-for-30 30 30 on the 85 Bears. It was great stuff. I stayed up late the other night to, to view that. But whenever you're mentioned with those guys, uh, that just shows how good – uh, your uh, your, foot, your how, how job you did and your foot, and your defense was and I got to say one of the coolest things right after the Super Bowl is Von Miller putting up an Instagram tribute to Derek Thomas because uh, he looked like uh, the old number fifty eight in the NFL no doubt about it he was dominant.
0: Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was on a show the week before and at the tail end of the interview they asked me about the Super Bowl. I just my analysis and I wish I was in Las Vegas. When I said this, I, I, I was uh, impressed with the defensive ends of Denver, Vaughn Miller and uh, Demarcus Ware from Auburn High School in Troy. I said, I think they have the athleticism to corral Cam Newton. You know, let's show some lane integrity by the guys coming up the middle, and they'll hold them down. Now, I never thought they'd hold them to 10 points. I mean, nobody could envision that type of defensive effort. But, And I thought Peyton Manning would make enough plays to win the game. But he almost gave it away. So but so Peyton Manning goes out on top, I believe. And, uh, of course, Wade Phillips and Evan Mathis, he, he he can feel good about his situation as well.
1: Those are all great storylines. But let's backtrack on something you touched on a minute ago, AP, because you played a, a, a pretty good role in the uh, Snake finally making the Hall of Fame situation. Saber, former Alabama and Oakland great quarterback. And he's now going to be enshrined. And you had a little bit of a, a role in that, and I'm sure the Sabre family much appreciated it. But uh, tell me how it felt for you, you know, when you finally saw what was going to happen.
0: You know, Kenny did the ball playing. I, I, I kind of kept it alive a little bit, but it was kind of a lifelong thing ever since I watched him when I was a boy. And to see him enter the Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, it it was, I, I don't know, It was it was really surreal. It really was because I can remember Kenny playing at Alabama and hearing about him when he was at Foley High School through my uncles and things. And, and then I had the opportunity to interview his, his grandsons. And in, at the press conference, I, we had kind of a light moment. I said, this question's for the Grand Snakes, you know, because that's what they call them. So everybody kind of chuckled. But, but they were two cool cu- customers themselves. I mean, Kenny, if he was there, man, he would have been so proud of his grandsons, the way they were on the stage with all those other future Hall of Fame members, you know, Kevin Green from Auburn and Tony Dungy and uh, Eddie DiBarlo, uh from the 49er organization, they were unbelievable. And it was funny because I motioned over to the, to the boys I, I, like I wanted to take a photo, and one of them, he's kind of the spokesperson between the two, he raised his finger number one like his granddaddy did that time when he won the Super Bowl, and it was a perfect picture. I couldn't have asked for a better one. It, it was really cool.
2: And I think we were all proud that – Snake finally went in, AP. I know we talked about that on my show. And it was, uh, you know, probably 15 years too long. I mean, but at least he's finally being given the respect he deserves. And looking forward to, uh, you know, I I believe it's around August the 6th when he goes in officially. And uh, I know it hasn't been uh, fully decided probably, but uh, who's going to do the speech? I was hearing John Madden would likely do it.
0: Yeah, that's the last I heard, Drew, and I always told everybody I'd never been to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, and maybe that gives me a reason to go up there now.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, we would expect you to be there, AP, and uh, it would be an unbelievable honor if you got a chance to even talk to Coach Madden, because I know uh, that one quote that's been circulating quite a bit is, and he still says it, you know, John has seen just about all the great quarterbacks play and he coached some great ones. But as he said, of all the quarterbacks that have ever played in the NFL, if he had one drive to win a game, he said he would still pick Kenny Stabler.
0: Yeah. That's a testament to, to Kenny's coolness and his ability to deliver when it counts. And John Manley, as you said, seen them all.
1: AP, uh, changing the topic a little bit. Uh, I understand you had a chance to get a first-hand look at the best uh, basketball team in the NBA while you were out
0: there. Yeah, Yeah, there's something to behold, the way they move that ball and their skills. I I told somebody, I think, that Steph Curry, I think he's the most skilled player I've ever seen. I mean, physically, when you look at him, you're thinking, well, there's no way he can dominate in this league with all these big, powerful, fast players. But his his skills dribbling the ball and his quick release and his ability to get rid of the ball and get his shot at any time, and he's a tremendous passer, uh, excellent vision, great team player. Yeah, there, there's something to watch. I really enjoy that. And, and when I was out there, of course, I had a chance to visit with an Alabama legend, Basketball legend, T.R. Dunn. He's an assistant with the Houston Rockets.
1: And what do you have to allow?
0: Yeah, T.R. was good. You know, he's, he's still uh, uh, enjoying his time. as the second stint in Houston. He's trying to get these guys to play some defense. They're, you know, not as good as they need to be right now. I think they're 20, 27th to 28th in the league. But he still enjoys his time coaching uh, professional players. And, and uh, T.R., you know, he's a very modest guy but he's well-liked by all the other, you know, coaches and players in the league, and I th- had a chance to talk to Patrick Beverly from Arkansas, and he just loves him to death.
2: Yeah, AP, I know uh, he did a great job in his short stint at Alabama. I thought under Mark Godfrey in 2002, they won the SEC Championship. It was the best defensive team Alabama has had, and Trs had a storied uh, career uh, with the, in the NBA as a player and coach. Did he have any thoughts on Avery Johnson and how he would do at Alabama?
0: Yeah, he thought the program's in very good hands, and Avery's a you know well-traveled as a player and a coach in the NBA. So he he was excited and and happy that Avery was um, had hold of you know in, in charge of, the, of uh, Alabama basketball.
1: Well, AP, you've had a chance. Uh to observe a game or two already this year at Coleman, and I'm sure once you get back down south, we'll see you at a couple more home games. Uh, what, in person and from afar via the tube, uh, what's been your impression of the job Avery Johnson's done thus far?
0: Yeah, I think the, the, the most thing I've been impressed with, uh, Kerry Drew, is he's teaching them how to win. That's very important. I mean, it's nice to be close. It makes you feel good for a few moments, but he's teaching them how to win, and that's something that Alabama – uh, had to get back to the, you know, for the program. They, they were a lot of close games through the years, and they haven't been able to get over the top. And he's, he's recruiting better players, I know, and he's going to go around the country. He's not going to stay in the region. He's going to go out, outside the region to get as many players as he needs to get the program to the top.
2: And, AP, the one thing that kept going through my mind last night, and I'm sure you may have seen some of that game as uh, two former guy, uh, Bama players were in attendance, and the only thing I could think about was what might have been and what he could have done with them because I've already seen the impact he's had on retino Nobassahan. Retno Basahan is going to be, unless it's just highway robbery, a first-team All-SEC player uh, under Avery Johnson and really should be hands down the most improved player in the league uh, with his production this year. But what could he have done with Rodney Cooper and Levi Randolph, who one of the best uh, posts I saw on an Internet message board last night was on com, I believe, which is uh, we know Rodney Orr is a great friend of this show. But their careers were wasted in a lot of ways. They both were 1,000-point scorers, were both uh, excellent uh, representatives of the program. Of course, we know Levi is in the D-League. Rodney overseas, and of course Levi was the first academic All-American in the history of Alabama basketball, but what could he have done with two players with that kind of athletic ability who needed to just be utilized? And as you said, you brought up a great point. They're being taught they would have, the current guys on the squad are being taught how to win but with a little bit of coaching because that was the most frustrating part of the last two to three years of the Anthony Grant administration. You just felt like from a, from the head coach on down, that there wasn't any player development, and in, and uh, in, 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 in especially on the offense of the floor, into the floor, no development in coaching.
0: Yeah, that's the key to uh, winning at the college level: the recruitment and the development of the player. And I think you know Anthony fell short um, in that area, the mm-hmm. development part especially. So yeah it would have been nice to see Levi and Ronnie there during the uh Avery Johnson era because you know maybe maybe uh maybe they're in the league now maybe one of them's in the league now of course you know he's in the D league but maybe could, Levi could be in the league right now playing did he it well, seems I, to I, me that he all he did he didn't he didn't uh get more moves or have a better go to move while he was at Alabama and, and that that was too bad
2: Well, before Kerry chimes in, I can tell you this. I watched Levi Randolph for his entire high school career, at Bob Jones High School. I know who coached him. Danny Petty coached him. He's a Hall of Fame coach. He's the, He and Jack Dawson are the only coaches in the history of the state of Alabama to win state championships at three different schools. He had that kid well-schooled when he came into to uh, Tuscaloosa. He did not develop from that point forward. I will make a bold statement. If Anthony Grant had been fired and uh, in the, in the, in the Stars had aligned to bring Avery Johnson in a year earlier when he was still doing television – Levi Randolph would have been drafted in the NBA, whether it be in the second round or whatnot, but he would have been drafted, and he would be on a roster right now and not in the D-League. I can tell you that right now, and I can tell you this. Redno Basahan is going to get drafted. I don't think it'll be in the first round, so to speak. I think it'll probably be the second round guy. But I bet he plays in the NBA as well. And Anthony Grant couldn't have got him a sniff. He stole money for three years. And we just have to thank our lucky stars that Avery Johnson took over Alabama basketball because Anthony Grant almost killed the program. He is the worst coach in the history of the school.
0: Um, I think you said quite a bit there, Drew.
1: Well, AP, uh, we're not going to keep you too much longer, but I did have one final question for for myself, and then I'm sure Drew may have one or two, more now, which is good. But uh, another project you were involved in, in addition to the snake thing, uh, well, two more really. Why don't you give us updates on the progress you made with trying to help sell the Mal Moore book, and also the progress that's being made still on the the DVD about the Wishbone Boys?
0: Oh yeah, we're we're still we're still trying to. Uh... Promote most of the book down the road here, I think uh, maybe some tentative plans. We might do some things around A-Day game because, that you know, the big crowd will be there. So we haven't, uh, you know, divulged those facts yet, but I think we're going to work towards that. And then we're still in the process of uh, working on some funding for the the Wishbone Boys, uh, the producer of Tim Cart. I haven't been in contact with in the last 10 days or so, but we we're trying to make a push here uh, in the next couple of weeks to get that totally funded.
1: Is there a GoFundMe site that supports
0: that? Well, oh, we don't have one of those for the for it now. We're trying to go straight to some people with um, some ideas and get them to get on board.
2: And we hope that happens. And I think it would be a remarkable uh, project to come to fruition. I've seen the trailers and the previews of the Wishbone Boys, and it was a great era uh, in Alabama football, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, AP, but I'll, just, uh, I guess, uh, from what, from your standpoint uh, now, what, what are you uh, going to be? I know you've had, you've spent uh, quite a few days now out in California, and you've talked to Jamar King. You were able to cover uh, some of the Super Bowl uh, leading up to the game, and of course, Kenny Stabler in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but what what are you going to be concentrating on uh, now? You always bring such a unique perspective to Bama Mag, and what you can do, what you do, and who you cover because of, the, of your ability to travel. Uh, throughout the the uh, the country, what is next on your docket?
0: Well, I I just visited with Najee Harris a couple of days ago, and I just happened to put that up on the site about I think within the hour, so folks can take a look at the interview I did with Najee. I think it was it was actually Tuesday afternoon, right before I went to see uh, Tr uh, in the Golden State and Houston Houston Rockets, so they can look at that video, and I interviewed his offensive coordinator. Right in the weight room, so that was that was kind of a fun day, and uh, I have a few other. I have to get that Jamar King thing done. Look for that in the next day or two. And uh, I also visited a seven foot two freshman basketball player a couple of weeks back. I have that project to still get up on the, online. That uh, he's been recruited by some schools. Already got offers: West Virginia, Florida State, Iowa. But I know Avery Johnson's going around the country. That might be a player that they they could um, reach out to because uh, he has the best footwork for a young guy, seven foot two. I, I think I've ever seen. Uh, one coach was saying that he's more at, he's at the um, higher level of development than Ralph Sampson at the same age. So those are I've some of the ask, things a. they can look for online. I've, yes, sir. I've got to I've got to ask that AP. Where where is this kid located? Uh, he's he's at Cheshire Academy in Connecticut, actually, and I visited. Oh wow, um, okay. Th- yeah, that was when I visited with the wide receiver up there who has an offer from Alabama as as well. <clears throat> They're both at that same school. But, uh, wow. Yeah, he actually he actually played that night against a prep school player going to Kentucky. The name escapes me at the moment, but the seven foot two uh, player's name is Chole Mariel. Real nice young, young guy. Yeah. Wow.
1: And who's, the, who's the receiver you're talking about that has the Alabama offer?
0: Oh, Tariq, um, Tariq uh, Black. Yes, correct. Right. I spoke to him, Tariq, and he, the day I was there, matter of fact, he was wearing an Alabama visor. Good to hear. Yeah, he's a yeah, He's, he's, high, about, he's yeah, pretty high six, up the board. Six, yeah, he's pretty high up the board, about six four, two oh five. he told me, 207, oh, something like that. He's a pretty big guy. No Is question. he
1: 17 or 18?
0: kid. Oh, uh, he's, he's uh, correct. right, right, correct.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah
0: he's 17. Yeah. Great, yeah, and he actually met N- Najee uh, last year, he told me, when he was on campus. They kind of had to run into each other.
2: Well, and I, I wanted to, before, uh, you know, Kerry finishes up, I've got to ask about Najee, because uh, the, the the Tide Nation is, of course, a little anxious. He is the number one player now in the country on Scout.com, and William Barger has watched his film and basically he used one word to watch it. He said Heisman. He feels like he's a franchise (laughs) running back. Uh, What what was his thoughts on Alabama and is he firmly committed in your mind?
0: Yeah, I think he's firmly committed, but I mean in this day and age, you just got to keep things open because you just never know what happens. So, you know that was kind of his his statement to me. He's committed, but he's still entertaining offers and things. And when you have Jim Harbaugh showing up and Brian Kelly showing up, I mean, it's you're 17 years old. You you have to at least listen.
1: You got your salt verbals and you got your bag of verbals. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, th- thank you so much for uh, <laughs> joining us tonight. <laughs> AP, it's always a pleasure. Uh, you've given us nearly a half hour of your time and you've given us some facts that people would only get here on bands radio. Uh, I'd, too many to list, really. Great stuff as always, and we'll be staying in touch with you, and we'll be getting back with you
0: very, very soon, my friend. Oh, it's my pleasure, uh, Kerry and you, and, and y'all take care. Anytime.
2: Thank it's you, good. AP, and a safe journey back to the south.
1: Yeah, looking forward to seeing AP at a few home basketball games. I got a funny feeling that that uh, second junior day, which is going to be the February 27th Auburn rematch, I got a funny feeling AP will be there for that one. But uh, that being said, we appreciate him joining us on the Asian Rim Hotline. Don't forget to go to AsianRim.com to check out the menu. And don't forget to call them. They're located at the Colonnade in Birmingham, Alabama. You could still get your Valentine's reservations. More on that, hopefully, around the bottom of the next hour. But for now, we're going to take our one and only break. You are listening to BAM's Radio. We'll be back in a sec. Thank you. Alabama's Radio, and uh, we are ready for a good second hour, and uh, this is Kerry Clark, your co-host from BamaMag.com, joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 97.7 Zone, and Thomas Watson Touchdown, Alabama Magazine, manning the controls. We got Mobile with Thomas, we got Hustle with Drew, we got Hoover with me, and we've fortunate to bring on to this show the pride of Alexander City, Alabama a man who was the Riley Norris of the a- the ITC Delta Com basketball team back in the late 90s that played the downtown Y. <laughs> proud to call him my teammate. Proud to call him my friend. Radio talk show host and columnist for the Outer City Outlook, Luke Robinson. Welcome to BAMS Radio, my friend.
3: Wow, what an introduction. How in the hell am I going to live up to that? I don't know. <laughs> um, it's good to be back, guys. I appreciate your inviting me
2: uh absolutely luke uh we wanted to invite you because we know of course how how closely you follow alabama athletics of course you have uh talking tuscaloosa the the podcast uh, the daily podcast with a good another good friend of this show uh jimmy stein and you both uh have the pulse of alabama athletics and follow all the programs very closely but especially uh football and uh, men's basketball and men's basketball um is starting to the season is starting to develop into some the one that I think was going to be memorable for a lot of reasons because this team uh you can see Avery Johnson getting every ounce of uh, ability out of it uh but that win last night uh Alabama controlling it for much of the second half but then it looked like uh the more experienced A&M team under Billy Kennedy who that much like Frank Martin has, uh, can, well, first of all, we will say this. Billy took over a good program from Mark Turgeon, uh, but uh, we know it, it's still that uh, he has had some bumps in the road, but it looks like, uh, much like he did at Murray State, he's built a very solid program there. And Frank Martin, of course, has turned around South Carolina. But it looked like uh, that Alabama might lose the game late uh, because of the experience factor of A&M. and And then with Alabama's roster being limited to, or well, the way it is, but they had a little bit of uh, Coleman Coliseum magic, a 93% free throw shooter in college, misses two, and they escape with the win and now have put themselves in position uh, with their seven games remaining. If they can hold serve at home and you know win a game on the road to, to get to 9-9, nine and nine, if you win a game or two in Nashville, it's going to make some people uh, very nervous that are on the bubble because Alabama has had a lot of quality wins.
3: I think it is. I mean, they've, Alabama's got four top 25 wins. They've got a 39 RPI. They've got a lot of positives on their side. There's no doubt about it. And first of all, I want to apologize for my background noise. I'm outside downtown Birmingham. Uh, there was a surprise party for a friend of my wife's, and and I had to come to it, and I said, "But I said, I'll go to it, but I am doing this interview. so <laughs> um, I, I said, I've got to run outside for a minute. Um, but going back to the basketball team for a second, I want to give a lot of credit to Chris Stewart, the play-by-play voice of the Crimson Tide, obviously, for the basketball side. And I had to listen to the game uh, coming back from Birmingham last night. And he willed, I'm telling you, he willed those two misses. It was unbelievable to to listen to the game. And I knew that that guy, the 93% free throw shooter, was going to miss those two. I swear it just... Chris willed it, and so I got to give him a lot of props for that. I mean, call it Coleman Coliseum Magic, Call it whatever you want to overall here's the thing. I think most Alabama fans after that win, okay, a lot of people had already bought in obviously and 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 were down with the program, or maybe never even left the program. but I wouldn't say that was a lot of people, but that win last night had to wake up the entire fan base from a post traumatic Anthony Grant coma. That it, that we had all been put into, I mean, we were used to boredom, we were used to losing late, but not even dramatically late, like we lose late because we foul somebody with eight seconds to go, and then we turn it over. It's not even drama it's it's just bad basketball, it's not fun and uh Avery Johnson has come in and made everything fun. I mean everything's different the The concessions taste better the the program reads better everything's just more fun with avery johnson there he's just cool he gets it i had a friend of mine sit next to a friend of Retno hunt at the game and he was telling me or excuse me my friend was telling me that the friend was saying th- the players think more highly of him than y'all can possibly imagine he said yeah if you read the the uh the press. If you read the articles, if you read the columns in AL dot com, I mean, you'll think the players are really coming together and they buy in, yada yada yada. But that's all player speak and coach speak stuff. Players actually one hundred percent buy into this thing, and we just don't have the horses yet to do what we want to be able to do. I mean, it's not I, that's not a shot at the players. We've got some good players, but our best player and I firmly believe this, is Dazon Ingram, and he can't play right now. So, it, it, Retino Basahun is playing lights out. He's, he's looking great. He's being a leader. But it's taken him a long time to get to this point. And if he had had just one more year of Avery Johnson, I think he could be an NBA-type player. I mean, maybe not an all-pro, but I think he could play in the league. Um, so, that's why I think it's, it's funny you mentioned Riley Norris at the beginning of this thing because – Man, that kid is doing everything I thought he would do when he came to Alabama. He's shooting threes with confidence now. He's um, hustling for balls. He's making the Sports Center top tens on on steals that he's getting. I mean, he's never going to be the guy that leads the SEC in scoring, but I don't want him to be that. He doesn't. We we don't need him to be that. It's just this team is so much more fun. It has an identity that is not coma-related, and I think it's turned the whole program around, and um, look, we have a tough schedule coming up, okay? I would challenge anybody, Duke, uh, (laughs) Kansas, anybody that wants to take on what we have coming up, going to Kentucky, going to Florida. we got to go to Georgia, who's uh, not a terrible team. Yeah, we do get to host Auburn, and the train has derailed over there on the plains, and Arkansas isn't very good either, but For the most part, we've got a pretty daunting schedule coming up. I just want us to win one of the road games and win all the home games. If we do that, and then if we win two in Nashville, we're going to have as good an argument as anybody that's on the bubble.
1: Luke, how surprised – I know that everybody – was thrilled when Alabama hired Avery Johnson and they got an NBA coach of a year and a guy that finished second in the finals one time. And But how, how surprised are, are you with, with what he's done with what amounts to mostly a mid-major type roster, particularly with Ingram Hurt? How surprised are you with what he's done just with the fact that Alabama's in the discussion for the big fans?
3: I'm really surprised. I mean, I think I actually came on this program. Any program that I've been on, any column that I'm a part of, any podcast that I help with, I said at the beginning of the year, people, go ahead and put out of your mind that we're going to be in the NCAA tournament. I, you know, just put that out of your mind, and then you will enjoy the season much more. Well, here we are, and frankly, I, I mean, we, we're a couple of bad bounces against LSU, um, a couple of possessions against Oregon, away from not just being on the bubble, being like a seven seed, a six seed, I mean, being right there in it. So that's the thing with basketball. Look, I, I rail on the basketball system because I, I get it. I get that there are 300 Division One teams, however many teams there are. And so you have to have more people be involved in the playoff system. I don't like the NCAA basketball system, um, unlike a lot of people. I, I think 68 teams is way too many. But if they're going to have 68, I want to be one of those 68. So <laughs> – um, I think this team is one of the best 68 teams in the country. In the end, that's not what it's all about. you got to know teams losing records can get in through the, their conference tournaments, what have you. But I think Alabama is definitely one of the best 68 teams in the country. It's just about making the right moves down the stretch. I mean, we, if we can get a win, we don't have to win at Florida. I mean, I think people are going to say, some people are going to say that's a must win. I don't think we got to win that. I don't think we've got to win at Kentucky. I think we got to win at Georgia, and I think we got to sweep at home. And if we do that, I think we're—I swear—I think we're in with just a win in Nashville.
2: And uh, I agree with that, Luke. I think so. uh, I've had people tell me that if they go to nine and nine, they'd have to win two in Nashville. I think they'd have to win one, Uh, but they are going to have to steal another one on the road. And uh, but I just think it's amazing uh, the, the the job that he's done because when you what you just said to me you know even even with the healthy days on air when i was taking that into account but i knew what the roster looked like it's un, it's unfathomable to me that he's already done a good enough job with the roster he inherited uh that that he would have this team among the top 68 it it also shows how good a recruiter he is that he went out and found Arthur Edwards who many people had not heard of. So uh, the, the recruiting aspect with Avery is already out the window. People wondered if he could recruit. We've seen what he's done in the early signing period, and everyone relaxed. Terrence Ferguson is going to be at the University of Alabama. And I'm more anxious to see what he can do in the late signing period to get a big or two. Of course, if he signed two, we might have some roster attrition. Uh, but, again, I just really think – uh, that uh, we the next year could be really fun because I think the roster is going to be much different and he's going to have even more horses. And as we said earlier in the show, uh, I, I'm I'm sure you weren't able to hear that portion of it, but I really believe this honestly that in another year, and especially two, uh, we Avery Johnson's already had more success on the NBA level than John Calipari ever did. I think he will be able to go blow to blow with him as soon as he gets some talent. Yeah, I think it,
3: – look, it's going to be – we're never going to go I, – I, I think I, – I appreciate your optimism, and I understand it. I think that it's going to be tough to ever try and sign the way Kentucky signs Oh, no, I mean, no, no. no. We're not going to
2: recruit <laughs> the number one class every year, but I just think
3: we'll be able to compete with them. But – and I agree. I think that we will be able to give them hell. I mean, it'll be a lot better than the game you saw this year in Tuscaloosa. Look, the other thing to take into account that I hope the NCAA Tournament Committee takes into account this team caught some really bad breaks. I mean, forget the days on Ingram thing, which is really bad. But we played, we played Ole Miss for our conference opener when they are opening their Coliseum. I mean, how many teams in this conference would have gone over there and won? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to venture none. I mean, is there's no really? <laughs> Us yeah, if you we there? Made free throws. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> say that
1: again. Us, if we'd have made free
3: throws. Well, but we didn't. I mean, so there, there are not many teams that would have. And then we come home two days later and play a Kentucky team that had just lost at LSU on a Tuesday. So they had two extra days rest to let that simmer. And so they come in, and they and they beat us in Tuscaloosa. So we start out in such a hole because the conference didn't help us out. It's just a bad luck. I mean, if that's just the luck of the draw, we got a bad draw. So I mean, you got to deal with it. Then we play an Auburn team. Can you imagine – if we had played auburn at home on on that tuesday night versus playing them on the plane um, or if we played auburn two weeks later when the rails have come off i mean that team is bad now they they've got bad karma they've got bad everything going on right now under bruce pearl and if we could have played them just a few days later i think we win that ball game um if we caught some bad breaks in the schedule but i think that This, again, this all could make us stronger in the end. And those are the things that help build character in a team, and it's a long season. Um, I'm just, I couldn't be any more fired up. And everybody that I talk to involved with the program, everybody I talk to that, that goes to all the games, everybody is unified with this thing. The one thing that Anthony Grant did was, I mean, he put me to sleep. I have no problem saying it. He literally put me to sleep as a basketball fan, but uh, he, he was divisive in the sense that people started leaving at different times. I mean, there were some people that I knew that were like, look, after year three, they were like, listen, he's just not going to get it done. There's too many, too many things he's not doing right and not getting. And then there were some other people that tried to hang on just for nostalgia's sake. And it just, it, it the, the program was in kind of tattered and, Avery Johnson has done such a remarkable job. not just bringing this team together, bringing the fan base together.
2: Yeah, that's a great point, Uh, Luke, no doubt about it. And I I made some commentary in the first hour of the program to AP Stedham, and he said, you said a lot right there, Drew, but I truly meant it. I I hate to say this about Anthony Grant. I don't think he's a bad human being, but he was in the modern era of Alabama basketball the worst coach in the history of the program. He almost killed the program. And just because, as you said – and that was what alarmed me about him. He had no concept of you know what of how to promote it. He didn't think he needed to. he didn't relate to people very well. he didn't excite the fan base. He wouldn't even do interviews, which bothered me and so I just you know if you're the coach at Alabama basketball, you're gonna have to promote you're gonna have to get out and be seen and That's the one thing Avery Johnson's done that uh people weren't even thinking about when he got hired. He has just he's ingratiated himself within the community already. Uh, and, uh, of course, Nick Saban's always going to uh, stir the drink in Tuscaloosa, but everyone uh, loves Avery Johnson as well, and I think everyone's just anxious to see what he can do uh, as uh, he as he stays in Tuscaloosa. And I'll tell you this, Alabama, I think he's probably the second-highest paid coach in the SEC in basketball. He's going to get a raise uh, sooner rather than later, and we already talked about this too, and I know you're going to agree with it, uh, but I think within uh, five years you're going to see a new arena
3: in basketball at Alabama. Lord, I hope so. I mean, because I'm going to tell you, I've I've seen some of the other arenas, and, and we're pulling up the rear in a lot of ways. But uh, I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. But you're absolutely right. I think Anthony Grant honestly has some kind of social anxiety more more than anything. I mean, he wasn't. It wasn't that he was unfriendly to the media. He avoided the media. He just didn't want to even be around, and football in this state sells itself. If football is terrible under Mike DuVose or Mike Shula, people are still going to talk about it in a negative way, but they're going to talk about it. And in basketball, right. if you're not doing well, people are going to just say, you know what, I'll just talk about spring football and <laughs> uh, and recruiting. And basketball, you've got to go out there and hustle. you got to go out there and make it happen. You've got to put on some not, not hokey promotions, but, but real promotions, fun things that people want to get behind. I mean, Anthony Grant had you might as well. His promotion should have been: come early, and I'll give you a pillow because I'm putting you to sleep. Talking
1: about that hustle, uh, Alabama has an assistant in attendance tonight, watching 2017 Auburn high power forward Garrison Brooks, who's not giving Auburn a lot of love. Kareem uh, Canty has announced on Twitter tonight that, regardless of when or if he's reinstated, he is not going to be at Auburn next year. He's going pro. Uh, you you talked about the train wreck and probably don't need to beat that into the dirt anymore because uh, I think we can do that in person when they show up on the 27th of February. So let me share something with you, Luke, that I found interesting. I I I first heard it uh, this past Monday night. Uh, You used to come to our tip-off meetings at Bright Star. We're still doing that. And Monday night we had Bob Simon and, uh, you know, Wendell got up first and, you know, talked about the need for a new arena, which means that uh, behind the scenes, Avery's already asking for that, and I don't blame him. But I want to share with you, Luke, an interesting stat uh, that you'll appreciate as a, as, a, as a former player. And After the Southern Miss game, which could have gone very badly for Alabama, uh, had their best shooter not missed a, a wide-open three toward the end, after the Southern Miss game, Luke, Alabama was ranked 346 out of 356 D1 teams in offensive rebounding. And Bob Simon, who's the associate head coach, went to Avery Johnson uh, and said to him the next morning in his office, Coach, we've got to do something about this. So they started developing drills to teach the kids to fight for the ball in the offensive glass, and they implemented those drills. And I want you to know that the team that was 346th in America in offensive rebounding is now right around the 200 mark. Now, is 200 No, it's not. When you jump almost 150 spots in in six, seven weeks, because your coaching staff recognized the need for improvement in the area, what it tells me is that not just the head coach, but the assistant coaches are the right ones too, Luke.
3: I totally agree. I I did not know that statistic. That's amazing. It's just fantastic to have a group of guys that get it. I mean, here's the thing. I don't want to be – a fan who feels like I know more than the coach or I I could do a better job marketing the program. And that's how it felt under Anthony Grant. But I kept thinking, gosh, why didn't he do this? Um, People do that on on a lot of levels, but I I felt like I was really right. Like, Anthony Grant could get out there and do this, and I think everything would would fall in line. Um, But with Avery Johnson, he's thinking of things, and he's got guys, that are thinking of things that the fans don't even consider. And so to have something like that and to have to move that kind of spot, you're right, it's not going to be uh, – being 200th in the country is nothing necessarily to hang your hat on unless you know they were last in the country before that. And this team isn't even built to be an offensive rebounding team. But I'll tell you what, a guy that I absolutely love is Don Hall. Uh, Hall just gets after it. He can jump out of the gym. And people, that is such a cliche. People say that about every player now because everybody's out there dunking. But before the Alabama Mississippi All-Star game, a couple of friends of mine, I usually call that game, but I had a prior commitment. And my buddies, who were both Auburn fans, they ended up calling that game. And they said, you know, look, Dante Hall, they, they had kind of thought coming in based on the bio that he was kind of uh, Jimmy Taylor-esque, and I think he is a little bit of a Jimmy Taylor in in a way, but they said in pregame warm-up said there were coming 80, uh,
2: from a coaching staff standpoint. Uh, I don't think any of that was being worked on uh, under Anthony Grant at the University of Alabama. I know Grant is pretty much my favorite punching bag, but I'm sorry, uh just It's just amazing. I've watched this team play live several times now, and, of course, on uh, TV as well. And I just am amazed at the level of coaching they are getting. And, of course, uh, yeah, no offense to our guy, Bryant Northington, uh, but on Twitter, but the lack of coaching that they got uh, under uh, Anthony Grant. Well,
1: let me share with you a stat from last night, Drew. And you've seen the box score. I know you go over it like I do. Offensive rebounds, Alabama was ahead 14-8. to Overall, it was thirty six twenty nine. 29 Bama's now 8-1 in games where they out-rebound the opposition. But get back to that 14-8 to on the offensive glass. That produced nine second-chance points for Alabama. A&M had eight second-chance points. Alabama won the game by one point. Is it huge? You bet it's huge.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was huge. Um, you know what uh, the the uh, the the backboards. This Alabama team has struggled a lot during the year on the glass. Uh, just uh, it, it, there's no question about it that that, uh, that that the rebounding was the biggest. I think uh, key to winning last night uh, because Jalen Jones was a man among boys, but Alabama was able to affect some of his shots. And I just really what what's uh, I continue to love is and Luke was talking about it before we lost him there is the confidence you can tell in the body language and, and just in a month's time how much Dante Hall's already improved and uh I think he's just a better version of Jimmy Taylor and that's no disrespect to Jimmy who's also improving but I think Dante Hall and I remember talking to uh, we had his uh, high school coach on our on the on Bam's radio I truly and I and, I, and we had and I know I had him on my show on Talking Ball I believe as well but uh, we and but I truly believe Richard Dorsey. He he told me back at the Alabama Mississippi All Star game he thought he would end up in the NBA, and I'm seeing that. I think he has a chance to be an NBA player.
1: Yeah, I think I was sitting in to uh, get uh, yeah, i talk about.
3: Yeah.
0: Right. What,
1: what I want to touch on with Dante is uh, he got ten rebounds last night, blocked a shot, and had two steals. Did score with six points, but he's not. It's not necessary that much for him to score, but when you have a guy that gets 10 rebounds, and, and let me be clear, 10 rebounds is good if you play 40 minutes. Dante Hall did it in 21.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That that was the shocking thing. When you look at the stat line, uh, he uh, he did it in uh, 21 minutes, and I thought he had more than one block, Carry They credited him with one block. I thought he had three or four in the steals, but I just thought – he was the best defensive big man in the game.
1: Well, they credited Jimmy and Retton also with a block and a total of three. Uh, so I, I was wondering because I haven't seen the replay. I was wondering, Drew, in your opinion, did did Dante really foul uh, Anthony Collins at the end? Was it because a lot of people thought that was clean?
2: Well, it looked like he got him with the body a little bit. I mean, uh, sometimes the referees will swallow their whistles in that situation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think in some ways with, with the, the quality quote unquote of officiating we've seen this year, uh, that, uh, in, it could have probably been a no call, but I thought Collins did a good job driving the ball. And, and I will say, I didn't see too much of, uh, of disbelief on, uh, on the Dante Hall's part. It was more disappointment, uh, that I think he knew he got him with the body a little bit, but again, it worked out for Alabama because, unbelievably, a young guy that had been shooting free throws in Anthony Collins so well at, at a 93% clip missed them both. And uh, as Billy Kennedy t- told us in the postgame, it just wasn't meant to be.
1: Yeah, and, the, you know, look, one of the coolest stats that they give you now, they didn't always give this stat, but they do now, uh, the game was tied for three minutes, Drew. A&M led for – 12 minutes, 45 seconds. Alabama led the game for 24 minutes and 12 seconds. So the team that deserved to win won. What, what you didn't want to see was it was it come down to the last second the way it did. And we've got Luke back. And uh, Luke talked about Chris Stewart willing Alabama to victory. And, and, Luke, you were making a point when we lost you.
0: And he just dropped again. Okay.
1: Well, so, Thomas, tell us what's going on with Blog Talk Radio.
0: Blog Talk crashed. So... That that's why we lost Luke, and then I think he
2: just called back in, and it cra- it's crashing over and over. Like I can't, I'm I had trouble getting onto the website. Period. So I had to re- reboot the system on the fly yeah. from oh, okay. our end. But it's, are it's, the
1: live listeners hearing us?
2: As far as I know now, yes. Yeah, yeah they're. they're he- I
0: think they're hearing they're, it. They're, yeah, was,
2: there was a point at which no, they weren't hearing you,
0: but it's going to be recorded on the podcast because of how that's set up. At least I believe it is.
1: Good. Okay. Well.
0: And if you want to get Luke to try and try it one more time,
2: I think it's back stable, but okay. I can't, you know, I can't promise anything. This is not on Bam's end.
1: Yeah, well, we're also expecting to hear any minute now from Paige Talkman, who I don't know if she's able to get through or not. Maybe she'll text me if she's not. But uh, we'll get back to talking a little bit more about the A and M game and kind of put a bow on that, regardless of who joins us in the next few minutes. Uh, the, the scoring last night, Drew, uh and had 16. Riley Norris had 11. Shannon Hale, he's taken a lot of criticism, but in 18 minutes he scored 10 points, got three rebounds, and had a steal. So I thought Shannon's play last night was pretty key to that W.
2: Yeah, I mean, he hit some big shots and uh, was able to contribute some scoring to Alabama coming off the bench. And uh, I think that was big. And as Avery said, they played him about three minutes over. Uh, what they wanted to allot to him. He was a game time decision, and to beat a team like A and M, they were going to need some offense from Shannon Hale. They got just enough. Riley Norris was efficient, did a lot of his damage in the first half, uh, but ended up with 11. Uh, Red Obasanjo with 16, and I thought he was patient on the offensive end. He had he's been getting his teammates involved early and being a uh, more efficient offensively the last couple of games, and then of course. Uh, I thought Dante Hall was huge, no doubt about it. And Arthur Edwards uh, didn't score a ton of points last night, but made some big baskets. Yeah, Arthur,
1: that was going to be my next point. Uh, you, you look at Arthur Edwards' line last night, he was three for eight from the four, two for six behind the arc. He had four rebounds, uh, eight total points. He did foul four times, which kind of maybe them him to him 28 minutes. He had two assists, three turnovers, and a steal. That's not a a gigantic stat line, but it's a stat line of a man to help this team beat a very good, likely NCAA team by one point at home.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, it was a team win. Uh, they needed everyone on the roster to contribute almost in some way. Justin Coleman uh, did, not, did not shoot well. He was 0 for 5, 0 for 3 from three-point land. Did make a couple of big free throws. I thought late he got tripped in a lane and should have been going back to the free throw line, but more incompetent SEC officiating. Uh, they did not make the call. Uh, but I thought overall he did a better job of handling the ball. I think he had two assists and no turnover. I don't think he turned the ball over, uh, which is big for Justin uh, because he struggled with his ball handling. Uh, but I, And like Avery said, they still have a turnover problem. But I thought they cut down on him. They really only had 13 against a really good team last night. Yeah, and, you know, I, I was a little frustrated there at the end of the game
1: because – I wanted the 90-something percent foul shooter for Alabama to get back to the foul line, and, and, but they never seemed to want to send Justin Coleman back to the line. A&M was smart. They did not foul him in the last four minutes because they knew that he was going to go there and knock down two more and give Alabama a little a bit of an a, uh, advantage. That being said, uh, we'll go now back to the Asian Rim hotline. And we're joined by the person that helps us have the Asian Rim Hotline, uh, a great friend of this show, and someone that I was able to dine at her establishment just hours ago for my lunch. It was great. I tried the sweet and sour chicken. Did not realize how good the fried rice was there. I had forgotten it. And I got my staple shrimp appetizer, the shrimp boat. I love that, too. The service was great. Nicole was great. The managers are great. Welcome to the Asian Rim Hotline, Asian Rim co-owner Paige
4: Hockman. Hey, Carrie. How y'all doing? Hey, Drew.
2: Good, Paige. How are you?
4: I am tired, very tired tonight. We were very busy at Asian Realm. And I just got. Well, that's um,
2: great. That's a good thing. Uh, I
4: just did time. Maybe call a little bit late, Carrie. Sorry about that.
1: Okay. Paige, I want to go ahead and, and, and jump right in to uh, what people can do if they still want to make Valentine's Day reservations at the rim.
4: Well, they can do that two ways they if they have the open table app on their phone, they can do that um also, they can call the store, which the store number is 205-490-1444. I will tell you, we are pretty much booked solid for Valentine's night for um the the dining the dinner dining hours. I mean, people could still try to call. We might have a couple of tables left. Um, I think everything was booking up, but we're actually doing a $75 per couple uh, dining deal that gets you basically a four-course meal, a four-course wine dinner, and um, it, it's a really, really good deal. But we're offering that on February the 12th and 13th, which are Friday and Saturday nights and Sunday nights because, you know, some people work on Monday, so they're not going to be necessarily celebrating Valentine's Day on Valentine's Day. So we're we're offering that seventy five dollar per couple. You don't have to do the seventy five dollar deal, but um you definitely get a lot of food for not very much money um at Asian Ram. And again that's a four course meal and we're we're offering that February twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. So if we are booked up on the fourteenth, please come on and see us on the twelfth or the thirteenth.
2: Yeah, and uh, Paige, it was good to see the baseball team out at the basketball game last night. Uh, throwing out uh, T-shirts pregame. Uh, I, I was I got there, you know, about 15 minutes before tip-off, and they were in the tunnel and figured it was the baseball team when I saw Will Haney and a couple of those guys uh, at the front <laughs> of the tunnel. And I know uh, they're excited, uh, uh, probably like kids on Christmas morning, as are the coaches, uh, to get this thing rolling uh, a week uh, from tomorrow.
4: Yeah, it's, you know, these guys have waited such a long time I know that you guys are aware um, of how completely exhausted our guys were probably about, about halfway through the season this past year having to play all games on the road. Uh, home games were played in Birmingham, as you know, and then, you know, they on top of that, they had their away schedule, and then to that they had exhibition games in Huntsville and Mobile, um, which just really made for – quite a grueling season. So they they are working very, very hard, but there is a different excitement in the air with all of the new facilities that are just incredible. Um, the, they're going to have, it's going to be a whole entirely different uh, ballgame, so to speak, when people go back to the Joe. They're just going to be shocked and amazed at, at what the University of Alabama has been able to do there um, with that same plot of land. It's just an absolutely amazing structure with all the bells and whistles. You just can't find anything nicer than what fans are going to experience this year.
1: And I got a chance to tour that myself this past Saturday, and I was, I was blown away. I, I looked at all three levels. Uh, I, I don't even know where to begin. The locker room is awesome. The concession area is awesome. The press box and the suites on the level three are awesome. And I was—I expected to be blown away, and I was. And it felt great to see all the work they've done. But it also felt great, Paige, to see the kids out there actually scrimmaging against former Alabama players. And I know you got to see all mm-hmm. of that. So uh, kind of yeah. recap uh, what went on in Alumni Day for our listeners.
4: Well, we had about uh, 200 former players there. We actually had some guys who held records back in the 50s, the early 50s there, which was really, really cool to, to meet those guys and see those guys. And uh, I I would say the great majority of the players who were there were prob- probably played between 1980 and, and 1995. Um, a lot of former professional baseball players were there, and there were some current, you know, big leaguers there. Although if I start naming names, I will probably – Um, lose your audience really quickly because I won't do a good job (laughs) with that. But um, you know, Dave Magadan, for example, and Alex Avila were there, and I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. You know, they're they are just you know all Americans in Alabama, and and I think Matt Downs was there. Um, you know, just a bunch of a bunch of recent MLB players and current MLB players and they were just so excited and our current players were so excited to get to play against some of those guys. Now uh, most of the current MLB players aren't allowed, weren't allowed to play but at least they were there and uh, it was just so much fun. You know, the game that game, the alumni game or old timers game was supposed to end at 145 and honest to goodness they were all like guys who didn't want to didn't want to come in off the playground you know they were back out there in their baseball uniforms playing baseball in that beautiful new stadium and they didn't want to stop they kept playing and playing and playing and uh just it was just so much fun um and and our current players it was just a great way to get the season started for them on the right foot and create a lot of excitement and enthusiasm for Alabama baseball, which is what they they need going into this new stadium.
2: Uh there's no question about that, Paige. And it's a big year for Mitch Gaspard and the coaches. I mean, uh they did they fell short last year of getting into uh regional and I know that's what they're trying to do, get back uh, out there yeah. and uh and get uh, back to postseason and back to being successful uh and having a chance mm-hmm. to get back to Omaha because as I was talking with Chris Stewart last night after the basketball game you know, it's it's been a while. It's hard to believe it's been since ninety yeah. uh, nine. Well, and Coach been, Wells
4: uh, was there, you know, um, the other day oh, as was Coach yes. Schallenberger. Um, So it was it was great to see those guys back in, you know, and they've experienced that. And and a lot of those players who went to the World Series were there, and it can happen. You know, it does happen and uh, that's something that our, our boys, our guys needed to see. But anyway, Drew, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No,
2: that, that's great. I mean, obviously I'm glad Coach was – and we all know Coach Wells stayed in the area, and I think he's still coaching at Northridge High School, mm-hmm. and uh, he's he stayed in Tuscaloosa. My only regret is as good a program as he put together, and, of course, Coach Gaspard and Coach Norris and everyone in and, and Coach Phillips in the program were a part of it. I just wish he could have been able to use those yeah. facilities.
4: I do, too. I do, too. You know, um, we've we've really suffered um, as a result of two things. One, not having the facility to recruit with.
3: Right. And
4: also, um, you know, uh, the way that uh, we don't have the education lottery in Alabama. And it's really hard for us to get those out-of-state guys that – Many of and most of the other SE schools are able to go after, so I I don't really know what what you do with that. We had to build a really, really, really nice stadium uh, for darn sure as long as we're not going to to have access to any sort of lottery where we can get more really great out-of-state players to come to Alabama.
1: And, Paige, one of the reasons that we have you on this show, in addition to being our sponsor, is that you are Georgia Salem's mom. We didn't mention that this week. And if we have a first-time listener, I want them to know that we're talking to the starting center fielder of the University of Alabama's mom, a young man, but I've followed since he was a 10th grader playing for Buddy Anderson at tailback at Vestavia Hills High School. Let me ask you, though, Paige, we, we know that Georgie's going to be the center fielder, but can you give us any hints on who might be to his left and right this
4: year? hmm well, I'm going to tell you, we have got such tremendous young talent. I have been amazed at Keith Holcomb, who's come over from football. Who is one of our? He he started on special teams in football. Keith is around, you know, six four, probably I don't know two thirty to something like that. It's just he's got a big, powerful bat, and he is a center fielder as well. He is it's as fast. Georgie at getting to first base um which is saying a lot for a guy who's 6'4 very very fast very quick back speed and he is just going to be a tremendous asset to the team um we've got hunter webb back hunter webb transferred for one year and he's come back to alabama now and he was our left fielder before or one of our left fielders and You know, Hunter's a great outfielder. And then you've got Ryan Blanchard in right field, um, who's a veteran. He could be over there. But, you know, with these these young guys coming up, I mean, we've got – we are very deep in talent at every position. And the veterans are not guaranteed a position. They're just not. You know, uh, Georgie's going to have to swing the bat. I mean, he is, you know, absolutely in his mama's eyes. There is no better center fielder, <laughs> but, um, you know, he's going to have to hit the ball, and everybody's going to have to hit the ball because there's somebody, you know, chomping on their heels to take their position away. You know, we, we are really running double duty around all all positions pretty much and, and triple duty around some of them. I mean, literally, there's there's two or three guys for every position, which is very good because that motivates people to do their very best you know, every single time that they're part of the action, whether they're at bat or whether they're involved in the play defensively, you know, you better be giving it all you've got because there's somebody else that wants your position. So, you know, Georgie, while he has started since he was a freshman, hey, nothing's guaranteed if you're not swinging the bat.
2: Yeah, and Paige, I'm I'm excited about Holcomb as well. I saw him play in high school. Uh, They played up here in the Huntsville area in the playoffs against uh, Grissom and then uh, against uh, Sparkman, and Sparkman uh, ended their run. But he's someone I taught, and I interviewed him It's a football prospect after the game, but he was garnering uh, p- uh, attention from pro, pro scouts but told them he wanted to play football. But he was a guy, as he told me, he'd never even really been coached in baseball. He did it all off natural ability mm-hmm. and talent. He was somebody that mm-hmm. could pitch. He was one of their uh, top pitchers from the left-hand side. He started mm-hmm. on the mound for Hillcrest. And another thing he did was he he, uh, he swung the bat really well, like you're saying. And I've heard some good positive reports from him coming uh, from this spring now that he's come out uh, for baseball. He swung the bat really well. And as you said, now he's a lot bigger uh, from playing and from being in the strength and conditioning program at Alabama. And he can run so well for a big guy, too. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of the outfielders, whether it be uh, left or right. By, by I would either
4: it, it's it's going to come down to who's hitting, you know. It really is. Um, you know, Ryan Blanchard is is a he Ryan Blanchard is a very he, he's a great hitter. Um, I mean, when he makes contact, it, he's very strong and powerful. I don't think he's ever gotten all of his speed back a hundred percent in in the outfield although he has worked like crazy to get his feedback since he had that bad accident and busted his kneecap down at uh, Louisiana Lafayette. You know, that was just a terrible, terrible accident down there. Um but and he's he has really worked hard to recover from that. Kobe Vance, you know, he broke his ankle before um before Christmas and he is he's just now, I think, back to chance and rolled his ankle or done Chance Vincent, our shortstop or possibly third baseman, he had kind of had a little bit of an ankle injury before, but I think Keith he's, he's back now fine. I think his was just kind of a temporary deal, um, but as I was saying, we're we're very deep in all of those positions, and I think Keith is going to, I mean, the scouts are going to, they're already licking their chops over him, and I'm very, very happy quite frankly that, that Coach Saban is allowing him to play baseball. Um, I don't know that he has ever allowed this before, and, you know, it kind of makes me wonder if he doesn't have his eye on some other guys that, you know, we lost Jameis Winston because of that. I don't know that that was a bad thing necessarily in hindsight, but, um, you know, Jameis wanted to play baseball, and that just that wasn't going to work for Saban. So he's, he's allowing Keith to, to do both. So we'll see if there's somebody you know, something going on in the woodwork that that Saban's kind of looking at down the road and, and kind of trying to see how this is going to work with Keith doing both, and I really hope that it works out for the sake of football and baseball.
1: Paige, those not that many years ago when I was, say, covering a Hoover-Vestavia game and Georgie was playing halfback, there was a fellow playing quarterback uh, at Hoover that now, I think, has a shot. Now, you can correct me on this. But Auburn transfer that had to sit out, but now eligible. Uh, is, is Connor Short in the mix at third base?
4: Oh yeah, absolutely. Connor could be our starting third baseman. Um, you know, sitting out for a year like he had to do to to keep his eligibility. Um, and, you know, Connor's dad was a great baseball player, Ben Short. who played at Alabama, and I think played made played in the MLB too. Drew, did didn't he play in the MLB?
2: Well, he 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 did. He he pitched in the minor leagues. I don't think he ever made the show, but he was in '91, uh, and the show was, she was Schoenberger's last great team. They they were within three outs of going to the World Series against Florida State, and I think it was the only save he may have blown all year. Uh, oh, he wow. was a tremendous <laughs> closer on the mound uh, for Alabama yeah. in the early '90s, uh, and then yeah. he coached in, in the junior college circuit at Jefferson State Community College and. Uh, before okay. getting out of coaching but his son Connor well, yeah he's
4: the point is it's in it's in Connor's blood um, yeah he's a baseball to, guy. To play at a very elite level and uh Connor started at Auburn uh when when he was a freshman as a matter of fact so he can definitely be contributing you know that second the actually shortstop and third base there's going to just be a battle the entire season for those two positions because you've got Daniel Cujan who can play short and third. You've got Chance Benson who plays short and third. You've got Chandler Avant who plays short and third. You've got Connor Short who started at Auburn playing third. I mean, there's just – there's a lot going on over there. So you've got a lot of guys who are going to be just doing everything they can do when they're in the game.
1: Has uh, Cody Henry improved to the point that he's now the everyday first baseman, or is he still more of a D.A.? Cody
4: is really doing very, very well at first base. We have another freshman who actually reminds me a lot of Cody when you're in the stands. You really have to look to see if it's Tyler. um, I can't think of his last name. Um, Drew may, may have the roster in front of him, but... You have to kind of pay attention, is that Cody or is that the freshman because they are both very similar in size, they both swing a big bat, and Cody has really really come on strong at first base i I feel pretty confident that he will be the starting first baseman, but um there's a good possibility that if whichever guy's playing first base, the other one could very well be you know doing some d h work.
2: Yeah, uh I think you said you were talking about um I, I I want I was I was looking on are you talking about Tyler McMurray? Or who, who, yes. who, who okay. I think it's okay. Tyler
4: McMurray. Number seven, I believe.
2: Oh seven, um, seven, okay. Okay, yeah, okay. You're talking about Chandler Taylor. Uh, from Montgomery Cameron, Academy. Connor.
4: That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 He's
2: from American yeah. Christian Academy. Right. American yeah. Christian. Excuse me. American Christian, in, uh, it's a, which is a, I think it's a four A school in Alabama. So yeah, he's a he's a, a, a true freshman. He's listed as an outfielder, infielder. Mm-hmm. Swings from the he's left side. He's a
4: big guy. Yeah. He is a big mm-hmm. guy, and he is a power hitter. Um. You know, he he and Cody are going to give each other a run for their money at first base. But uh, right now, I think Cody is in the lead on that. But you know, as I was saying, you gotta hit the ball.
2: <laughs> well, and as you said, uh, Blanchard's had some tough injury luck. But as a senior, if he if he's back healthy and can get an opportunity, he's someone that could easily DH as well.
4: Yes, yeah, he, he sure could. Um, you know, we're we're strong at catcher. Um, you know, we've got Haney and then there's are a, a fre- couple of freshmen back there that are just really, really great players. Um, you know, Haney, it, Haney knows what he's got to do. Haney knows he's got to swing the bat. Um, and then our, our freshman pitchers are just looking really, really good. I'm, I'm so excited. And then we've got a really strong veteran staff of pitchers too that, um, should be able to, to help us accomplish quite a lot this year.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm excited too. I want to see how uh, everything, uh, all the pieces, kind of fit uh, together. I know they lost a lot of talented players, uh, led uh, by uh, Mikey White. Uh, uh, of course, he's now in the professional ranks. But the one good thing about baseball is there's uh, every year there seems to be people that, uh, if you recruit well, that kind of come out of the woodworks, and uh, and you can have a really good team. I mean, Coach Wells when he came in in '95 the program had kind of hit a malaise under Coach Schoenberger, but he turned it around just like snapping fingers and perhaps with this talent and as you said, pitching is what wins games with uh, Bramlett mm-hmm. leading the staff and uh, I'm I'm excited to see Ozapog back too. I mean he's 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 mm-hmm. traveled a long road. Hopefully uh with Ray Castillo back, Burroughs, uh, they could uh the pitching staff could be deep and uh, maybe these guys could surprise some
4: people. Yeah, Nick Eichholt um from you know South Florida, who was drafted out of high school, has, has had some struggles pitching. But I'm mm-hmm. just here to tell you, he, he he's ranked pretty high by D1 for preseason um, in his draft stock. Um, and I am really happy to say that he has been looking incredible in scrimmages. We need him to do what he was signed to do. And I think that this could be a big, big year for Nick Ike Holtz, and I hope that happens for him.
2: Yeah, he could he could be the Bramlett of this season. Uh, Bramlett really came mm-hmm. on toward the end and became the number one. And we'll see what happens there. And uh, another guy that had a great summer. I'm going to be anxious to see if he could take it on into this into the into the season for the tie. Tyler Adams had a good summer as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Perhaps he could step up in the bullpen as well.
4: Well, it's funny how those um, the, you start seeing people emerge fairly early with their mental game. Uh, in that position, the, the pitching position, and it's they they tend to hit a stride a little earlier than say guys do at bat. That's just my opinion anyway, from watching this stuff for three years, and it, it's sort of like they they start the pitchers. However, they kind of start the season. You know, they if they start out strong, they tend to get stronger, and that's what I hope happens with our staff this year that we have a lot of guys who really start out strong. You start out on a weak note as a pitcher. You know, sometimes kids can get it turned around, but that's such a mental position um, that it's tough when you're young if you don't succeed early on in the year to to kind of get turned around. I mean, it can happen, but you know what I'm saying.
2: Oh, yeah, and before Carrie chimes in, I wanted to say that's a great point because I remember as a sophomore – uh Ray Castillo kinda carried over the the uh the the, the uh, the, uh and when he when he couldn't close the deal against Troy, that they tried to make him into a starter and it kinda carried over and snowballed on him uh for most of his mm-hmm. sophomore season. He didn't pitch uh toward, to his capabilities. Uh he bounced back last year for the most part, but he did have a uh you're right, as far as if you get off to a slow start as a pitcher, it can be taxing.
4: Yeah, it can get in your head and be tough to to get it out of your head. So um, that, that. I just hope that all of them have strong starts. That's usually not what happens in baseball. That's why you have so many pitchers. But hmm. I just think all the way around we are very deep in pitchers and we are very deep in all the positions, the defensive positions. Uh, if we can swing the bat this year, and I think that that's definitely going to happen um, with all the competition that's going on for a position and for starters and veterans to keep their positions. Um, you know, the Alabama baseball fans should have a lot to look forward to this year.
2: Really? We're looking forward to it.
1: Well, very last question for me, uh, simply because we hadn't brought him up yet. Uh, is, is there a chance that uh, former South Carolina and now Alabama player, well, South Carolina commitment that flipped to Alabama from Pelham. Sam Finnerty? Is he going to have a role early in the season?
4: Um, I think so. Um, I really, I'd be honest with you, Carrie. I've not paid a whole lot of a close attention to Sam, but that doesn't mean anything coming from me. Um, you know, you you just don't know. I mean, he he, really and truly, when the season starts and they start giving everybody, um, you know, their assignments, it can it can make the difference. And if you sit on the bench for half the season, how you do your first couple of outings, as you know,
1: when you're yeah, a new she,
4: player.
2: Absolutely. Okay.
1: Well, we do want to thank you for your time tonight. And uh, we want to remind everybody listening to Paige talkman on the Asian Rim Hotline to go to their website, which is AsianRim.com, or call 490-1444 and hook yourself up for the 12th, or 13th, or if you're lucky, maybe the 14th for Valentine's Day reservations at the Asian Rim, located just off US 280 in Birmingham at the Colonnade Shopping Center. Thanks so much for joining us, Paige.
4: Thank you, Roll Tide. Thank Roll you, Paige. Time.
1: Great to hear from you. Paige Chapman, mom of Georgia Salem, co-owner with her husband Roy of Asian Rim, sponsor of the Asian Rim Hotline. So y'all do give them a holler there at 205-490-1444 if you're anywhere around Birmingham. And you don't have to wait till Valentine's Day. And you can go after that, too. Good food, good stuff, good staff, good people. Uh, Drew and I ate there on the way to the Alabama-Mississippi basketball all-star game this past summer. Had a great time. We've uh, we've eaten there other times since then. And uh, it's great to have them aboard on BAM's radio. And we certainly appreciate their patronage. And, Drew, uh, we're going to get ready to close things out. I wanted to see if you or Thomas has any final thoughts.
2: Uh, You know, all I'll say is uh, I'm excited to see how the baseball program does. I do think uh, that, uh, you know, Coach Gaspar and the crew, now that they do have these facilities that are unbelievable and as good as any in the country, they've got to start showing the progress on the field and winning. Uh, Finnerty is a guy who's seen some time on the mound in the fall and the spring for for, uh, the start of practice. I think he can also play the outfield. We'll see. I mean, he was a ballyhooed recruit out of Pelham. Uh, Kobe Vance, anxious to see him. Uh, I think for the for this team to be uh, to reach their potential, they need Chandler Avant to win the uh, uh, the shortstop job. I think he's someone that when they <laughs> recruited him, they they thought of him as a middle infielder, and he showed flashes with the bat last year. We will see, you know, how he comes along. And as Paige said, there's a lot of competition there and at third base. Uh, but they really just need to step it up and win games and. Very anxious uh, to see how they do against Maryland. A very fine program that's coming off, you know, uh, a couple of back-to-back super regional appearances. So uh, anxious to see how they do in their opening three games in the New Joe. And I hope to be there on Sunday for the deciding game.
1: Hope you can make it. And uh, everybody else, uh, it all starts a week from tomorrow night at the New Joe. And Battle Softball actually plays tomorrow twice in a tournament in Orlando. They'll be playing it all weekend. We'll tell you how they did next Wednesday. On BAM's Radio. But for now, we're going to call it a week. And we want to thank you for listening. Uh, I'm your co-host, Kerry Clark, from BAMAMag.com. So, for Thomas Watts, our executive producer from Touchdown Alabama Magazine and for Drew DeArmond of 977 Zone ESPN, in Huntsville. We want to thank you once again for taking time to listen to BAM's Radio. Have a great rest of your week, and roll tide.
2: Roll tide.